gorgeous listeners and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast. We're here to chat all about sex, sexuality and the body. I'm your host Dr Caroline West and I'm always excited to be a part of the Tortoise Shack Network where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society and of course sex. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack as it does help to keep the mics on or you could feel free to pop over and rate and view over on Apple. You can also drop me a DM on Twitter or Instagram at Glow West Podcast. So today we're talking about something that frustratingly is still a part of sex in 2021 and that is the orgasm gap. And my guest today, we're going to kind of pull this apart on a little bit of a philosophical kind of level as well. <laughs> so Bobo Majila is a podcast host, also known as your favourite African philosopher. Her work as a self-portrait photographer talk host and public speaker make her highly sought after across the world and she's especially passionate in bringing conversations about identity, relationships, existentialism and philosophy to the main- mainstream. She's the co-founder and host of philosophy podcast Bobo's Void as well as being the founder and co-host of the world's most popular cross-continental podcast The Bobo and Flex Show. Bobo thanks Emil for joining me. How are you keeping today? Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Um, There's a snowstorm in New York at the moment, so I'm just inside baking cinnamon rolls. (laughs) I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That'll keep you warm anyway on a a very cold New York night. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and maybe like the sheer rage at the topic (laughs) that we're going to discuss today about why on earth there is still an orgasm gap nowadays. So yes, yes, very necessary conversation. Absolutely. Well, I suppose to kick us off with, do you want to define what the orgasm gap is for anyone who is new enough to this kind of concept? Ooh, yes. Okay. So I think I would define the orgasm gap as really a a gap in the amount of pleasure women receive during sex versus the amount of pleasure that men receive during sex. I also want to frame this. I just want to give some context that when I usually when I speak about the orgasm gap, I'm referring to it in terms of heterosexual relationships. Um, I've never personally been in a queer relationship, so I can't speak on the sexual dynamics within that. But by and large, I find that there is a huge orgasm gap um, when it comes to heterosexual, sexual and erotic relationships that actually goes a lot deeper than just sex and intimacy and reveals a lot about the way that men and women are socialized to engage with each other. I think that's, that's a very a, long definition. No, it's <laughs> absolutely spot on. But I think you're right to say, yeah, this is a, a main, this is a hetero thing that we're looking at because I think there's mm-hmm. less of an orgasm gap in um, lesbian relationships and queer relationships, um, things like mm-hmm. that, because I think there's like a, a world of research to say that consistently it is straight women in relationships that get the least amount of orgasms out of everybody, basically. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think this is? Like, what what is going on there? Like, the obvious factor is the man, I suppose. If we're, yeah, if we're not talking yeah. about <laughs> lesbian and queer relationships, the man is the, is the common denominator in this scenario here. Yeah, I think th- I think there's a lot of reasons why we have. I'll call it an epidemic because I think it's actually a serious problem. I think there's a lot of reasons why we have an orgasm gap. For one, I think it's because of the way that men and women have been conditioned to socialize 
and engage with each other. So men have been conditioned to view sex as something that they take from women, hence the idea of the virginity, the idea of taking someone's virginity. Um, and women view sex as something that they are supposed to give to men. And we see that even the way that we we see that with the way that language is framed around sex. Like it's never, we had sex with each other. It's always, oh, I banged that girl or, you know, like I fucked her. It's always something that is being done to the other. And the thing that is being done to the other is is that the other is usually the woman and the man is usually the main proponent. And then I think because of pornography culture, there's also men have been socialized to look at and engage with women as like objects as opposed to full human beings. Um, So when men engage with women sexually, I think they're approaching it as I'm, how do I frame this? They're approaching it as something that is for them as opposed to something that they're doing with someone other with some with someone else. So the emphasis is rarely on mutual pleasure and is more often than not on pleasure for the man. And because we also live in a patriarchal society where women are seen as other and men are seen as subjects so men are the subjects and women are the objects um women just always get the short end of the stick of everything like that's just yeah yeah. (laughs) I know frustrating and and depressing but I think like you're absolutely right there about I think the porn thing like as much as I love lots of different kinds of porn I think a lot of Mm -hmm. mainstream hetero porn is like that it's very much like sex is done to the woman like she's essentially a functioning set of holes and then the man has an orgasm she's delighted and there's no mention of her orgasm it's just like the sex ends at his his orgasm like that's the full stop for all the action where absolutely queer porn you know it's like there may be no orgasms there may be multiple orgasms there may be like action after an orgasm you know and there's mutual pleasure Yeah, yeah. And that's also to say that I don't think that the pinnacle or the point of sex is to orgasm. I think the point of sex is literally just pleasure and intimacy. Um, But again, I think that the way that we centralize the orgasm is also a very patriarchal thing. You know, I think it's very possible to have pleasurable sex without actually having an orgasm. But it's if we look at an orgasm as a representation of pleasure it's usually it usually centers male pleasure do you think it's you know the visibility is there you can obviously see a lot more especially in porn when a guy has an orgasm whereas a woman you know you're not necessarily seeing that that fluid coming out unless you're talking about squirting and female ejaculation that way or the signs are more subtle as in breathing and you know or red um rashes on her chest or engaged yeah like labia like that's porn doesn't show that sometimes and that doesn't necessarily translate to an on-screen proof of an orgasm whereas you know the the money shot or the cum shot is the is the quote-unquote proof of like that's why it was invented yeah Yeah. well here's the thing is that porn also isn't made for women's consumption like porn isn't made with a woman's gaze or woman's pleasure in mind porn is also something that is made for men and so porn actually isn't sex and that's I feel like this is where like this is where porn can sort of 
ruin or just sort of poison a lot of like the way that we view sex because porn isn't sex and oftentimes we conflate porn with sex but porn is a fantasy of sex porn is the male fantasy embodied porn is um a performance of sex but it isn't that and so we 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 actually just never will see women enjoying themselves or women engaging in sex in equal ways where like mutual pleasure is the emphasis because it's not for us to begin with <laughs> you yeah, know absolutely yeah well mainstream I, I think, porn not not feminist porn or queer porn but yeah 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 porn. yeah as far as yeah. mainstream porn I think it has less to do with the fact that women's orgasms are less obvious um and just more to do with the fact that men the men who are watching porn don't care for the woman's orgasm because they're not socialized to care about the woman's pleasure so there's there's no reason to show it on screen yeah and that's you know this isn't a new thing you know there's been a lot of frustrated straight women for a long time even before porn became as widespread as it is so like you're talking there about being socialized not to care about women's pleasure like where Mm. do you think that's kind of coming from I know the the obvious answer is patriarchy but let's let's pull that apart a little bit more of going why is one one gender socialized to just not care about the sexual pleasure of their partner like surely it's like you should want to make them happy and want to ha- make an or- give them an orgasm if that's what the goal is. Mm, yeah. Well, for one, I think there's like very old stereotypes and just like sexist tropes that aim gender in this really binary way where women are actually invested in emotional attachment and men are only invested in sex. And so the assumption then is that, well, women don't even care about sex to begin with. So why would we care to even pleasure them sexually? Women are only invested in love and emotions. And like, that's generally the trope. It's this idea that men are from Mars and women are from Venus and that we're so different and that women just aren't sexual at all. And so because women historically have been removed from sex as opposed to just objects to pleasure men, um, we're just not seen as people who even are capable of sexual pleasure. I think a lot of men don't, they can't even wrap their head around the fact that a woman would be seeking sex just for pleasure, like just, and not, you know, and that's As it's held a byproduct in, of emotional attachment. Yeah, absolutely. It's held up in so many different ways. Like, I, there's a sex mm. educator on Twitter who regularly gets into it with other sex educators, and she's insisting that no women don't really want to have orgasms; they just want to have like that emotional connection, and their orgasm isn't important. It's oh, all about no. the male orgasm. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm no. like, how are you a sex educator? <laughs> like, please stop! Like, this that is, is so, really so dangerous. Yeah. yeah, and you just yeah. think, what? Like, what is like? Like you just think the women listening to that are going, oh, okay, well, maybe, yeah, this is normal. This is what sex is. I'm not meant to be fulfilled. And that's really depressing. Yeah. And I think that's also why there's so much shame around sex. I feel like a lot of women are conditioned to feel shameful. Literally are sexual beings, which is the way that they were wired. Um, And 
really like we're all sexual not all of us but you know those of us who aren't asexual or those of us who just are sexual we, we are sexual beings and that's okay that's how we're wired that's we're human beings we all want to have sex so if if someone is like that and they're feeling that frustration and they're aware of the fact that hey you know I deserve an orgasm too um yeah. how can you communicate that then with a partner who it just doesn't have that awareness or I don't want to say interest, but some people don't have an interest in making their partner have an orgasm, wow. which is not a good partner. Yeah, I, I would say that if you're with a partner who's not interested or invested in your pleasure um, as much as their own, then I think that's just not a good partner. And that's indicative of a larger issue that's going to infiltrate into other areas of the relationship. So I think a partner that puts their own needs and desires above your own is just like reevaluate that relationship and reevaluate why you're in that relationship. And if you're in a if you're in a situation or a dynamic where you're with a partner who has been socialized like most men to believe that women aren't sexual beings and that pleasure and sex is reserved for men, then actually just communication is key. I think like there's also this idea that it's very romantic to not communicate your needs because your partner should just know and they should just magically know and intuit what you want. When like realistically, that's just not how life works. That's not how human beings work. And that's not how romance works either. The work of romance and the work of love, the, the work of intimacy is to learn and to teach. So both in your relationships and in your sexual lives, both parties need to be able to sit down and be like, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. Maybe come up with a safe word and just like from the beginning, like really have open, transparent candid conversations about your desires and your needs because if you can't do that then the relationship is kind of founded on a broken foundation I, absolutely and that's one of the things I most kind of get get the most questions about it's like how do I talk to my partner about this and it's people who they've been having sex with them for years but they just they oh, can't wow. talk about it and yeah it, it's like you know what I always say like our partners aren't mind readers and they're not going to yeah. know what you want unless you communicate and I know that's hard but that yeah. partner has had it their mouth probably in your gentles or like they've been all up yeah. in your business somehow so yeah yeah we're, we're okay with the physical part it's just the communication part we can't seem to get the comfort level around yeah. and what do you think that is well, so something that's helped me around that, because I used to be one of those people that expected people to read my mind because I thought that's what romance was. Um, and I was really invested in this idea of romance being something mysterious and something that you fall into as opposed to something that you consciously choose to do. And once I really unpacked that, I realized how poisonous it was to all of my relationships. And once I started viewing romantic love and actually like all of my relationships as something that I'm actively choosing as opposed to something that I've just fallen into because of luck or fate or destiny then I start to make more like conscious decisions and actions and I start to be more forthcoming about what I want because there's no expectations of intuition and mind reading and mysticism there's now just expectations that I will only get what I ask for 
Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. And it I does take that to. work. Like it's not, yeah. intuition is one thing, but the example I'm using a lot lately is like, you know, you don't learn to drive just sitting in a car and turning it on and going like you have to yeah. practice it and yeah, um, we yeah. had Sarah Sproul on the podcast recently and she was saying you know we have hurling which is an Irish sport like kind of hockey-ish I suppose if, if you're thinking of yeah. the close translation to it so you don't step on the pitch and like straight away know how to use it or play the game or know the rules like you practice yeah. and it takes years and she uses that example to talk to teenagers were going all especially teenage boys actually when they were saying how do we know how to um or you know we're, we're worried that we're not going to be good at sex straight away and mm. they can kind of understand that example but I think there's a lot of older people who also need reminding I think of that example of it takes work to yeah figure out sex and pleasure and it, it it's maybe it's scary for some because sex isn't stable like it's going to change and what you oh, liked in your 20s isn't what absolutely. you like in your 30s and your libido is all over the place and hormones and and things like that but I think yeah the, the communication part is is terrifying for a lot of people yeah yeah no and I really resonate with what you're saying about like I, I personally don't believe in the idea of being good at sex or being bad at sex. I actually don't think anyone is good or bad at sex. Um, I just think there's sexual compatibility and there's communication. I just think those are really the two factors that determine how fulfilling your sex life will be. Um, I think sex, like everything else, is just like I really just view sex as like a tool for connection and pleasure. It's just like a form of entertainment. It's not, it's not that deep. It's, it's not, it doesn't have to be this huge, deep, consequential thing um, that determines whether or not you're a good partner. But no, I, I think like, I think the fear of not being good at sex is also something that really like poisons our sex lives and poisons our, and I think, again, this is something that we adopt from um, mainstream porn of like, you have to have the biggest dick or like the, you know, um, and I just don't think like anyone has to have anything. You don't have to shave. You don't have to, you don't have to be skinny. You don't have to have big boobs. You don't, you don't have to have anything or do anything. Um, you just have to be like willing to go in with an open mind and be willing to communicate and know what you want. and. Like, just don't take it so seriously. It's it's also at the end of the day, it's just sex. Like, that's also yeah. it. You're rubbing your gentles or whatever it is together with another person. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. It feels nice, <laughs> you know. And literally. And I think forms people, of doing that. Yeah, I think people attach so many connotations to sex. There's the connotations of purity. There's connotations of, like, uh, morality. There's... But actually, the, all of that is just like social constructs and illusions. Like you're just two people who wanted to rub your genitals against each other. And that's that's it. So just do it and go. Like just <laughs> yeah. do that and go. Yeah. Well, we were talking before. So, you know, you know, you grew up in South Africa and we were saying yeah. that, you know, that, that social shame and stigma can be really pervasive across society. And mm. I suppose sex is tinged with fear in a, in a lot of ways and yeah. I know in South Africa there's really high rates of sexual assault and well there is yeah. here in Ireland as well but do you think that part of that is like 
you know how we're viewing sex how there's entitlement again the gender roles and patriarchy and things like that like where is philosophy kind of come into how that i suppose negative approach to sex has come in because there's no pleasure in any of those fear assault yeah. stigma social positioning where where does the pleasure come into all that Ooh, i so i i'm gonna look at this from two angles i'm gonna look at this from a racial angle and then I'm going to look at this from like the angle of patriarchy and then how the two intersect. So on a larger global level, I think patriarchy and masculinity at large is defined by the willingness and the desire to dominate. So a lot of men measure their masculinity, which is already very fragile because masculinity as a construct is an extremely fragile construct. But a lot of men measure their masculinity by their ability to dominate and be superior. And for a lot of men, sex is actually less about pleasure and is actually more about power. Um, and so if you're if you're viewing sex as a tool for power, then you're viewing your sexual ability to dominate as a measure of your masculinity and that can only be that can only produce rape culture and rape and sexual assault and then on a racial level so in South Africa we're still a very new democracy and um so yeah, we're a very new democracy and black people really only started receiving freedom, quote unquote freedom. We're still not free, but for the purpose of this conversation, we only started receiving political and economic kind of freedom very recently, which is in 1993 slash 1994. And I think a lot of black South African men still carry a lot, a lot of racial and generational trauma from being emasculated by their white superiors. And this transcends apartheid and this transcends slavery. But a lot of black men at large have been emasculated for so long under white supremacy. And when you've been emasculated for so long, and when your measure of masculinity is an ability to dominate, you then take that out on someone who is subservient to you. So uh, really what I'm saying is there's like a culture of punching down. You've been oppressed by white men and then you come home and you oppress the one person who is beneath you, which is the black woman. So one, one of the ways that that shows itself one of the ways that that comes out is in rape and you see that I'm not saying that rape obviously I'm not saying that rape is an exclusively black male issue but the rates of femicide and particularly rape and sexual assault in South Africa can directly be linked to apartheid and white supremacy and the ways that like black men have been stripped of their ability to be men um, and their ability to more than that to be human and that that trauma which is then unresolved because Resolving trauma is also something that's now seen as something that's for women because emotions are for women. And so it gets repressed and then it, it can only come out when you punch down on the one person that's beneath you, which for a lot of men is women, for a lot of black men is black women. So yeah, now we're caught in this very toxic generational cycle. Um, and this again is just... I want to say that this is a theory of mine that <laughs> I, it's not like scientifically proven, 
um, because it also can't be. But this is just a theory of mine that I've I've noticed from from my time here being alive and living in different countries across the world. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, there's so much to that. And I think that's why it's really important to have that intersectional approach of bringing in like race and gender and class and history and colonialism yeah. and all that into our definitions of pleasure and sex and, and sexual assault. Absolutely. And maybe then we have a more of an understanding then of like what's actually going on, but also an understanding mm-hmm. of how we fix things or how we start yeah. working towards fixing things as well. Like you're saying, like the intergenerational stuff is, is fascinating. Like I've worked yeah. in social care for a long time and that obviously is a lot of trauma, but the concept mm-hmm. of intergenerational trauma I think is fairly yeah. new for a lot of people that you know yeah. you can carry this around and I think Ireland I think is getting a little bit more aware of it now because we've lo- we've looked at things such as like the the Magdalene laundries that were here and people whose relatives were you know caught up in them and, and their babies taken and all these kind of things but yeah I think like how do we redefine if we have all that intergenerational trauma and things like racism and colonialism and and gender issues and all those things like how do we then redefine pleasure in the 21st century to address some of those issues and to build a happier society where sexual pleasure is a lot more equal between genders between races between everyone yeah well I think um I think pleasure is inherently egalitarian so there will never be pleasure for women or mutual pleasure in a culture that's rooted in domination. So we A, have to dismantle this idea that hierarchies and the idea of superiority and inferiority is natural or is just the status quo, because I think that's something that capitalism really indoctrinates us into believing that in every society there must be the one who is dominating and the one who is subservient when in reality that doesn't have to be the case so we have to dismantle this idea and we can only dismantle the idea of domination and superiority by dismantling capitalism like there is no there's no liberation for women without dismantling capitalism There's no um, addressing the pleasure gap without addressing this culture of domination that we live in because pleasure is inherently egalitarian. Um, And if your pleasure is at the expense of someone else's suffering, then actually that's not pleasure. And a lot of times capitalism frames pleasure as just that. Like a lot of people can't enjoy a meal unless they know that someone else is suffering. And a lot of people can't enjoy a meal unless they know that someone else is starving. And that is a direct function of capitalism. That line of thinking is a direct function of capitalism and white supremacy and patriarchy. Um, so we have to, there. <laughs> yeah, they all intersect and intertwine, but we really have to dismantle them if we're interested in even beginning Absolutely. To, address yeah well, how pleasure. do you bring that in I suppose then to your personal life then because that's a lot like you're you know dismantling like systems and stuff is one level of work but yeah on, on your own in your own relationships then if if you feel you're not getting the kind of pleasure that that you want or you deserve or you know whatever whatever the form it takes then how do you step forward and go hey like 
this is where I'm going and being conscious of bringing all, all the, the, you know, the isms and intersections there that we've just mentioned into that kind of conversation, into that personal relationship. Yeah, I think it, it, I think it, the systemic has to start with the individual. So something that I like to practice and it's actually, it's not something that I'm good at yet, but it's something that I'm forcing myself to practice is, is to really I'm a people pleaser. And I think part of that is just being socialized to be that way as a woman. Um, And one of the things I'm really learning to do is to set boundaries. And one way that you can learn to set boundaries in your life in general is actually to start with sex just by like telling your partner, hey, I like this or I don't like that so much. That really starts to empower you to start to do that in all other areas of your life. And even small things, like if you live with your male partner, just making sure that the housework is equal, is balanced, making sure that there's equal emotional, or maybe not, maybe like perfect balance is not necessarily attainable, but to try and pursue like egalitarianism in your relationships in very small ways will help to cement that in other areas of your life. And that looks like holding men accountable for their behavior. So if you see um, if you see a guy that is like touching someone inappropriately in the club or and you know it's your friend, just call them out on that behavior. Like be like, that's actually not cool. And I wanted to let you know that that's, I don't know if you thought that was cool, but it's not. And these are the reasons why. Like having hard conversations with the men in your life holding men accountable, um, enforcing a culture of egalitarianism in the home. Like if you're also a mother and you're raising sons, raise them the same way that you raise your daughters or, you know, just like it really starts like on the ground. Um, Like no more more saying boys will be boys and letting. Yeah, no more saying boys will be boys. I there was a point where I worked. I worked in this tech company. And so it was just me and one other lady among like a sea of men. And obviously there was so much sexism and I just so much of it just went it just went, it was just swept under the carpet because there was so much like, oh, boys will be boys culture. But um, it like, even in that situation, I had to be like, okay, despite being the minority here, I'm going to tell these people that it's actually, it actually makes me uncomfortable that there are posters of Victoria's Secret models all over the office. Like, that's not okay. No. It, Did you work in the 1970s? <laughs> like, can you imagine? Like, what? just four years ago in New York like you know so yeah even in the workplace like really calling men out on their behavior telling them don't call me sweetheart at work I have a name you know like it really starts small but the more that us women band together and call men out on their behavior and the more there are consequences for men's behavior then the the more we'll start to see progress um in that area of like absolutely equality and just men being able to see us as whole humans and not just objects for their pleasure yeah 
your, your workplace thing and, and everything you've just said there reminds me I was asked um a couple of months ago on a radio show and I was like oh do you think me too has gone too far and I was like we haven't even begun properly yeah oh of, my of god exploring that so started. yeah I, I'd say we're at about one percent like of how, yeah. how far because it's just like it's so pervasive in every kind of aspect in yeah. the industry and stuff so yeah I, I want to go to your your YouTube channel, which uh, there's lots of fascinating, like you know, conversations around philosophy on it and stuff. It's re- it's really interesting. But you've one Thank video you. asking is um, it explores is love inherently painful, and mm. I think that's really interesting. So talk me to that because for a lot of people, they've had really traumatic experiences around love, whether it's yeah. unrequited or breakups or just trauma of trying to interact with another human and just the mess that life and relationships and sex can be so is it inherently painful are we doomed to a lifetime of pain (laughs) if we accept love or where are we on that no so love is inherently challenging but it's not inherently painful And I really want to make that distinction because oftentimes we're either socialized to believe that love is supposed to be a state of constant bliss, just this pure constant excitement. It definitely is not. Um, Yeah, and that really just sets people up for failure. I think a lot of us learn about love and sex from Hollywood, unfortunately. And Hollywood paints everything in really binary ways because obviously they have to sell a product. And so when we internalize these ideas that... Um, you're going to be suffering. I think so. The message that women are made to internalize is that you are going to be suffering until you meet your knight in shining armor and he will rescue you from your suffering. And then you'll be in love happily ever after in a state of constant bliss. Um, uh, spoiler so, alert. I know. <laughs> that's spoiler not alert. Happen. That's not it. No. <laughs> and then um, a lot of people. I would say dysfunctional families are the norm rather than the exception. And unfortunately, we all learn how to love from childhood and from our families. So we're also, on on the other hand, socialized to believe that like love just is painful. And we're just, especially women, like Hollywood really grooms us to believe that a measure of your love for someone is how much you're willing to suffer for them or like how much... How you many know, sacrifices how much, you make for yeah, them. How many sacrifices and how much pain you're willing to absorb for someone else. And that's also not a measure. That's also not a healthy measure of love. Love is challenging inherently because we are all traumatized. Like being alive is inherently traumatizing. <laughs> From birth, you're born and then you're traumatized. And then you grow up and you're working through all of these traumas. So all of us are traumatized. So basic relationships are just true traumatized people trying to make it work. And that's challenging, but it's, it's also worthwhile when it's healthy. And so I really, I just, I have a book club and we just finished reading all about love by Bell Hooks. And I really appreciate Bell Hooks's definition of love, which is that love is nurturing your own and someone else's spiritual growth. And the ingredients for love are care and respect and honesty and commitment and trust. Um, And there's probably a few things more. But there are ingredients that are inherent to a healthy, loving relationship. But just because you have a healthy relationship, that doesn't mean that it's void of challenges. 
because the human condition is to suffer. Like we're going to suffer under love. Yeah, and life will that throw all mean, sorts of weird and wonderful things yeah, at you. You know what I mean? And so I think it's really important to because that's that's a question that I definitely have grappled with for a long time. And I'm really glad to finally have some sort of clarity on that in that like, yeah, we're definitely going to suffer in love because life is suffering. Um, and being alive is inherently traumatic. But that doesn't mean that like, love should be painful, it should be challenging, which means that you should have fights, you should have conflict in your relationships. Um, but those, those fights and conflict shouldn't be abusive. Um, you know what I mean? Like love and abuse actually cannot coexist. So, but they, while they do, they do, that's the problem. Yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many toxic relationships and I, I teach a class, um, in unhealthy relationships. And one of my students, I'm just trying to think of the quote there now that, um, ah let me find it now oh here so this is um like when I was growing up I didn't have proper sex education or anything or like you were saying like I was taught about love like through the media and through Hollywood and like you know all this mind reading nonsense and stuff and I thought love was chaos and love was like you know you have these ups and downs and lots of my Mm. relationships were wildly up and down and just absolute like like the idea of that love is wild passionate love and it's oh like oh my god it, it, let's demolish that yeah let's do like, with that love yeah. is calm and like caring yeah. and it's not like this crazy roller coaster and the, the quote I read out to my students I found it there and it's um one of these stupid Pinterest quotes where it's like you know written on typewriter I'm on a crumpled bit of paper that kind of thing so it's I am a wild lover love consumes me I let go my soul boils inside me my kisses will stain your skin my eyes will burn your heart I will break you and I will fix you I'm addictive I am yours I'm like that's not this is a lot. love yeah <laughs> that's passion that you know that's that's a lot of things but it's not love yeah I agree with you like nobody should I will break you that's not Mm. a good thing that's Uh, that's not love like love your lover should be your cheerleader and just you know wanting you to succeed not break you and fix you and remold you into their idea of of you yeah no absolutely not yeah I think oftentimes this is another thing that Hollywood does. Hollywood really grooms us to conflate passion with love. And I think there is a place for passion. I think passion is great. Passion is a great way to signal that like this could lead to love, but passion in and of itself isn't love. It's a great introduction to love. It's a great opening to the path of love, but in and of itself, it's not love. And I really, I had a moment with my boyfriend about a week ago where I was like, wow, who am I? Like, I just, I, we just like take walks and drink tea and have meals together and like do laundry. And like, that's kind of our relationship and it's kind of boring, but I really love it. Like that's, I wouldn't want it to be. Yeah. It's a very like calm relationship it's of course we have our fights and we have conflict every now and then but I've definitely come to outgrow this idea that like love has these huge undulations of 
like suffering and drama and and yeah and theatrics your word boring there it's like yeah like this is normal life especially under a pandemic you know we're not doing Mm. much exciting things but I think if you're if you're socialized I think love is that wild roller coaster and like I was you know that's how I thought love was that you do have all this wild crazy stuff going on but then when you do find someone calm and that you proper connect with it's it's like I don't know how to deal with this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely had that problem Um, because I was so used to chaos. um, I encountered calm love and thought like either I should sabotage this or this is about to explode. Yeah, Yeah. When we're so accustomed to chaos, calmness can definitely feel like dysfunction when it's not. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah 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 when I met my partner I was like you're what's going on like where where yeah. is the chaos like and yeah. like this is yeah and it, it actually left me feeling very unstable because I was like I am not used yeah. to this like this yeah. is a caring person and I hadn't dated a caring person for a long time because of all my traumas and people who wanted to compound them and all that stuff no but, absolutely yeah And that's this is essentially what I mean when I say that love is challenging and that like so many of us are traumatized and we're so accustomed to dysfunction that it's going to be kind of a painful process to acclimate to functional, healthy relationships like and I guess um, it can sort of be hard to differentiate between a painful relationship versus a challenging one, but a painful relationship is really disabling whereas like a challenging one really nurtures your growth mentally spiritually emotionally physically and so that's really how we should be like that's really the marker of how we should know whether yeah we are in pain or well, that, that feeling of you know like you're constantly going on edge you're constantly feeling there's something going on but it, maybe you can't name it to yourself or something mm-hmm. but if you're challenged but there's still growth like there's yeah. there's chaos and growth but there's also calmness and growth as well there's not yes. necessarily that yeah. same cold feeling in your pit of your stomach that like that pain kind of gives you mm, yeah like an emptiness or a hollowness yeah yeah, yeah. and I think like it's so hard to find love I think you know especially like you were saying that the societal view of love is like yeah you you kiss all these frogs and then you find your prince and and then it's happily ever after and it's like mm. that's like I think there's a lot of people who once they get married it's because it's focused on the wedding and all the money you spend yes. New York weddings are like crazy expensive they're like a hundred grand or something crazy but that and that whole thing but then no one teaches you then how to have a marriage yeah there isn't even like a pamphlet you know you don't even get a brochure (laughs) you get like the wedding night maybe but then you don't get all the rest and I think that's why maybe a lot of people are like oh it's really kind of boring now because you've had that high of like we're planning the wedding we're going to be the center of attention this is going to be amazing then after that it's like Mm -hmm just regular life you know just yeah slightly more legalized but (laughs) (laughs) yeah but so how do we how do we even I don't know like even approach the fact that like our our real lives you know I suppose disentangling them from all those stereotypes we have and and the expectations we have built up by media and Hollywood and and our parents Mm. and all those kind of things like how do we find ourselves within all of that 
Yeah, I think something that I started doing a few years ago is just really asking myself why I want to do anything. So like, if I want to get married, I'd really be like, wait, why do I, what do I expect from that? Why do I want to get married? What do I think it's going to add or contribute to my life? And the more that I unpack, or the more that anyone unpacks why they have a certain desire, the more you realize that like, usually you realize that that desire wasn't even yours to begin with. It was just one that was imposed on you. And once you can separate your own genuine, legitimate desires from desires that were conditioned and socialized into you, uh, you can really start like, yeah, you can really start living in good faith and really start just like living a genuine, like authentic life where you're not burdened by expectations that aren't even yours to begin with no. yeah and you but it's easy to think that they are yours because it's just what mm. we do in society yeah. it's what yeah like even the American dream if you think of that going back for so long it was like you know the stay-at-home wife and the man who went to work and the 2.5 kids and the picket mm-hmm. fence with the flowers and like, yeah that's not actually sustainable anymore with regular not life how it is so like but that's also not to say people back then were happy either. Just- Absolutely. Yeah. No, not at all. Um, one of my favorite philosophers, Jean-Paul Sartre, has this concept called bad faith. And his idea is that most human suffering comes from, comes from the fact that most humans live in bad faith. And living in bad faith means that we live dishonestly. We live in ways that aren't true to ourselves because we don't make conscious decisions. We just do things because that's just the way that we do things. Like we don't actively ask ourselves, like, should I be going to university? We just go to university because that's just what you're supposed to do. And that is essentially what living in bad faith is. And so many of us suffer because we live in bad faith when to, to dismantle all the ways that we live in bad faith just takes a couple of questions like really ask you, like even the concept of marriage was something that I, because I'm a huge romantic. I really love love. Like I really love love. Um, but I really had to sit with myself and be like, do I really want a, do I really want to be married and to be with someone forever? Do I even believe in the idea of permanent love? Do I believe in the idea of monogamy? Do I really want all these things for myself? Um, and the more that I question, the more that I realize that like most of I never wanted marriage, actually, that it's so incompatible with my personality and my values and my goals. Um, I never wanted to have kids, actually. That's completely incompatible with my values and my goals and the ways that I want to live my life. So really dismantling all of the desires that have been socialized into me. Um, has just led me to this place where my life is actually pretty simple. And from the outside, it seems really boring. <laughs> but like, I, I feel a lot more fulfilled now. And I don't, I don't like, I haven't reached fulfillment and I haven't found my purpose or whatever the case. But I feel like a huge weight has been lifted off my shoulders now that I just have a better idea of the fact that I'm not invested in permanent love. I'm not invested or interested in having kids. I'm not invested in having a career. I'm not, there's so many things that like we're told to be invested in that actually I'm just not, like I don't care for them. And 
because I've just come to peace with that, like I, I just make better decisions now, I think. That and I think we can like, all benefit from that. Yeah, it must feel like a massive weight off your shoulder then to go, yeah. okay, I've actually decided I, I don't want this because most of us going through life have to think, okay, are we doing this? Are we doing that? You know, or you face constant pressure from family and especially in certain cultures or there's massive pressure that to have babies and, and to have yeah. many, many babies. And like that just doesn't work for everybody. So it, yeah. it's hard to find your own your own strength I suppose to live the life that you want to do so I'd imagine that that feels lovely and calm and you know a a powerful feeling yeah yeah and I'd really like urge everyone to start that journey in unpacking their desires and dismantling them (laughs) absolutely and I think yeah like it's good to have these conversations to kind of help encourage people that yeah you know maybe there is other ways out there to live and and to kind of explore things so yeah um, yeah thank you for for bringing that to the table it's nice to kind of think of yeah the different ways that we can live and it doesn't all have to be 2.5 whatever (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah it's so liberating once you realize that the way you live is just one person's decision and there's so many others like Absolutely. yeah yeah a, lo- yeah a lot of personal happiness that that is more authentic maybe and mm. especially maybe the pandemic has, has maybe made some of us think about the way we did live and maybe how yeah. we want to live when things go back to quote normal <laughs> they're the yeah. normal anyways so um but with this has been fab um I think there's a lot to take from this and, and a lot of like questions maybe that listeners might kind of start applying to their own lives about pleasure and relationships and, and things like that so that's really fab and and where mm-hmm. can people find you I know you your YouTube is amazing with lots of you even have like the a I can never say this ASMR or is it AM oh yes guided meditations yeah is it a M S or A S M or yes A S M R A S M R. That's I always yes. get them mixed up. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a really fab way of exploring these kind of concepts. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you can find me on Instagram at bobo.majila. That's M A T J I L A, or on Twitter at bobo majila, or on YouTube at bobo majila. Um, you made that yeah. nice and easy for everybody. <laughs> yes absolutely. perfect brilliantly listen thank you so much I think we've all learned a lot and I think it's nice to bring in philosophy you know sometimes in the podcast we talk about techniques and and things like that so it's nice yeah. to bring in a little bit of no this is so important thought. no thank you thank for you. creating this space this is incredible happy days so um thanks a mil to all the listeners as well there's lots of questions there to kind of take away from from things so um feel free to dm me on twitter instagram if you have any questions afterwards and i can point you over to bobo's direction as well um she can uh, answer some of your questions um on twitter and instagram it's at glow west podcast and like i said at the top of the hour if you want to support the podcast it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack and i will chat to you next week